and we're live. Just kidding, guys. This is a podcast. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hopefully, you guys are doing great. And you guys are in for a treat today in today's episode of the Talk Shop Podcast. Today, I sit down with my buddy, workout partner, friend for years, Albert. And we talk hunting. And before you guys hear that story, I wanted to share something with you guys. Albert is a jokester. If you know Albert, I think you guys are in for a very big treat because you're going to see a side of Albert that I don't think I've ever seen. And it was actually really hard because I go into this episode. Well, I go into most episodes very calm. I try to let their personality direct the podcast direction because some people like to cuss some people don't some people take their craft very serious so I kind of go in neutral and then I let them decide and as you guys will see in this episode I go in swinging like I'm there to have fun crack jokes Albert takes a little bit more of a serious side which wasn't bad and it's not saying that he was completely serious we have our good laughs too but this was definitely a side of him that I never saw like shows you that there's always so many sides to people when they're talking about something that they love, they get passionate about it and you'll see a side of them that you never thought existed. So this was a really cool episode for me and I hope you guys enjoy. Now before I give you guys what you're here for, like I told you guys last week, I'm going to slowly start telling you the reasoning behind the purpose of the Talk Shop podcast. So if you guys know the old saying, Jack of all trades, master of none. Well, I kind of see myself as that guy. I always like to dabble into things because I find hobbies intriguing. I probably don't have enough of my own hobbies. So when I see something that captures my eye, I get very involved with it. And then I start slowly backing out of it. But hey, I always walk away with the respect for people and a newfound passion for something. And so this kind of allows me... An, deeper insight into that hobby or job or whatever it could be that I might not ever get because I'm not fully devoted to it. And I thought, hey, that's a pretty cool concept. Let's show people what's out there. For people that don't know what they want to do with their lives, this can be a doorway for them. And so, yeah. And that was another reason why this podcast was created. And now I'll let you guys go and I'll talk to you guys at the end of this episode. Now I give you the hunting episode. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, damn, why did it get so loud really fast? Jesus. <laughs> he blew his load. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming out tonight. And for today's episode, we're going to be talking about something as old as time, probably. Now it's a hobby. Back then, it was like a way to live, survive. And that is hunting. Some of you guys might be out there like, hunting, oh, whatever. But I don't know about you guys. I'm from California, LA area, and I live in a California bubble. I didn't grow up on hunting. People who probably started hunting when they were 10 years old, because that's what you do in other states. Not California. Shit, we're in our own little bubble. And I need some answers to my questions. To help me out, I got my buddy Albert, and we're going to be talking hunting. You can say hi, man. What's up, everyone? Well, hey, thanks for doing this, man. And uh, let's get down to this. Let's do it. So when you were a little kid, what did you want to grow up to be, man? Uh, I've always wanted to be a Marine, and I've always wanted to be a cop. So when I graduated high school, I joined the Marine Corps. And after I got out of the Marine Corps, I joined the Sheriff's Department. Damn. So, hey, how old were you when you knew you wanted to do all this? Probably like eight years old during the D.A.R.E. program is when I really wanted to be a cop. But prior to that, my dad was a Marine, my brother was a Marine. So that kind of drove my passion to to do things that I want to do in life. Did you ever feel like you had to because it was like a family thing? No, actually, uh, both my brother and my dad pushed me to not join the military. Oh, so, really? yeah. And then on top of it all, I joined infantry, which they were both really against. I actually got a phone call at the recruiting office saying, like, you're an idiot and stuff. Don't sign the line. So I signed the line the next day. Nice. Yeah. Hey, you're dreaming. Hey, and I'm living in it, you know? Yeah. 
very cool too to know that you were able to do what you always set your mind to. Yeah. In hindsight, I've never really looked at it that way. But as you get older, you kind of realize like I've checked off a bunch of things off my list, you know, list of life that that I wanted to com- accomplish. Very cool. I never had a list like that. So kudos to you, man. <laughs> so yeah, now let's talk guns, killing animals, all that good stuff. So <laughs> it's not all about killing animals. When it comes to hunting, some things that stand out to me about hunting, whether it's in California or outside of California, you're going across land that not very many Americans, let alone people, have crossed in probably decades. I know when we go out to Colorado, you know, we're at the top of the hillside riding a horse and I'm looking off into the sunset. People don't get to see that raw, like mother nature. They see it in a picture. They see it on TV, maybe on the Discovery Channel. Like I get a firsthand look, you know, when we're out there. It's, it's just, it's gorgeous. There's no cell phone service. You're not tweeting it. You're not on Instagram posting it. Like you're out there in mother nature and just absorbing it all. You know, the trees, the leaves on the ground, the squirrels, the wild berries, deer poop, bear poop. You're just like, damn, I'm in it, you know, kind of living how our ancestors lived it, hunting and gathering. Very cool, man. That's deep. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just joking about the killing animals and all that. Man, you're making me look bad now. Or hunters get a bad rep. You know, when people think of hunting, they think, oh, some redneck hillbilly is just going to go out there with his guns, drink his beer, kill his deer. Like, it's really, yeah, you might hear that in a country song, but that's not what it's like for 95% of hunters. I mean, they do it because you're out there, you're teaching the next generation on how to survive. And if shit were to hit the fan, a lot of Americans, they wouldn't know what to do. If, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen Red Dawn. Yeah, it's kind of far-fetched. I get it. But like those kids were raised on hunting and stuff. Like they knew what to do, you know, and that's what I want to be able to provide for my next generation is that they don't need to depend on people. They can depend on themselves to survive. When I think hunting, I never thought of it on a level like that. But they're very cool. I like the whole generation thing as well. All right. So that that got uh, pretty deep pretty quick. So let's <laughs> let's back up a little bit here. You do have family in the military. Was that ever a reason that you started hunting? No. I've only actually I only have one uncle that hunts. Never really been with or I've never been hunting with him. I actually started with my brother-in-law when me and my wife were dating in high school, just boyfriend, girlfriend. He took me, helped me shoot my first gun, which was a shotgun at the range. What, two weeks later, he calls me and says, hey, do you want to go duck hunting with me? I said, yeah, you know, it'd be cool bonding time. And we went and it was probably one of the best things I've ever done. I mean, the moment I shot my first bird was probably one of my most proudest moments because it's very challenging. And there's just something about, I guess, yeah, like killing an animal. But there's a lot more that goes into it because... After you kill it, it's you have to work. Now you're gutting it, cleaning it out, defeathering it. I mean, there's certain ways to to pluck the bird. You know, it depends on how you want to cook it. So a lot goes into it. So I learned a lot. And so that's when I started to gather my appreciation for our ancestors on the hunting and gathering and how they were able to provide for their families doing stuff like this. I mean... We're using guns now back then, you know, they're using spears and bows and arrows and rocks and whatnot, which is probably my next, what I want to do next. Like bow or? Bow. Yeah. I think bow and arrow would be really cool to get into kind of a traditional style hunting, you know? Okay. So like on this trip, was this like a day or two, an evening? Because when you go hunting, it can vary. So this first time you go duck hunting, was this a day? It was like a weekend trip. We drove out to Mendota, was which is just north of uh, Kern uh, Kern River, and we went out there for the night. Basically, camped out in his truck, and then woke up early in the morning. You have to get in a line with a bunch of other hunters, and if you have a reservation for the the refuge, which is a controlled controlled land that's owned by the state. And they allow, allow so many hunters on there to hunt and limited, you know, they have a limit of birds that you can shoot. So after waiting in freezing cold for a couple hours, 
you go out to your blind, you set up. And so we were there all day because you spend, you spend a good hour and a half, two hours of once you get past the gates to find your uh, respected zone, then you got to take all your gear, gear out of your vehicle, walk about a mile or two out to your blind. Now you got to set up all your decoys, which are fake birds that draw the, you know, the real birds in. And there's a strategy strategy to setting up these decoys. You know, you have to put certain birds with certain birds because one type of duck won't fly in if it sees it's outnumbered by another type of duck. Kind of weird, like when you think of that, like you think, oh, it's just a bird. But in reality, they know, you know, like that's not their species. It's it's pretty crazy. Well, they're they're used to being hunted, but like not by humans necessarily, but other animals, no? So... When they come in is right after the migration, at least to our side, California. They haven't been hunted in a good, probably like at least six months, maybe, depending on where they're coming from and what they're, you know, they could be coming from Canada and they have different hunting restrictions than we do or hunting laws where it's a time zone of, hey, you can only hunt from this time to this time. So they're constantly like bouncing around, escaping. So then when they come to a new place, they don't think like, oh, I'm going to get shot here. So like the first week of hunting is usually the prime because they're not used to being shot at. So when you start getting past like first couple weeks of the hunting season, it gets a little hard depending on where you're at and with the weather. If it's warm outside, you're not going to get much. If you want like prime hunting, you want it to be like super windy, cold, and even raining. Sounds miserable, but there's just something about being miserable out there that just makes it fun. I know it's weird. But unless you're like out there doing it, you're like, damn, this is this is pretty dope. The first time you encounter this, like terrible weather, did you instantly jump into it or was it like, fuck, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Yeah, I mean, I was that was literally right before I joined the military. So I didn't understand what miserable was in the outdoor aspect. Yeah. But being out there and just kind of experiencing this whole new I guess side of life that I've never really, I never really was raised with. You know, I understand, I knew what hunting was, but I kind of had the same general idea as everyone else where, Hey, I'm just going to get a gun and go shoot an animal. You know, it took my brother-in-law lending me gear, taking me out there, showing me the ropes to really grasp like how much work goes into it. So it was definitely more of like an appreciation, like, you have to work for this. It's not given to you. It's earned. So when when you shoot your animal, you take that much more pride because of how much work you put into just getting out there to, to have that opportunity to shoot the animal. And then shooting the animal is where it's like your prized possession. Like, oh, damn, man, I finally completed what I set out to do, you know. But at the end of the day, hunting is like gambling. You can go out there. You The weather could say, hey, it's going to be miserable today, which is awesome for hunting. You get out there and next thing you know, it's sunny, clear, no birds are flying. It is what it is. It's all it's all a gamble. You never you never know. It's all mother nature. I mean, you can't predict that stuff. So there's days where <clears throat> I've gone out and it's probably been the most boring day ever. You set all this crap up. You're out there ready to shoot something. And it's just crickets. And then at the end of the day, you pack up your stuff and you head home and you call it a day. But then you're just banking on that next time you go that it's going to be like, it's going to make up for that miserable time. And I swear, every time you go out there and you end up having a good day, you forget about all those other shitty days because you're like, damn, this was worth it. This, This outlasts everything. This is the best thing ever. And then the next time it's miserable again and it's stupid. And then time after that, you're like, oh, this is awesome. It's a roller coaster ride. Is there more good days or bad days? I would say good days. Um, the reason for that is, is I've never gone hunting on my own where I'm out there just hunting by myself. <clears throat> I've gone with friends. I've gone with my, my brother-in-law. And that, you're out in the wild with some of the people you're closest to. So you enjoy that. You enjoy the company. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not just about the shooting. It's about seeing the mother nature and seeing these different areas that people don't get to see and experience, like seeing the sunrise and then the sunset, you know, over the trees, over the water. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, man. You know, it's, 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 it's a sight to see. You're showing the good part of hunting. 
But like you said, there's a lot of responsibility and you have to pay your dues as well. So basically, money is going to be something that you got to pay. It's going to be gear, license, and all that other stuff. But another thing that you're going to have to pay is your responsibility. And we were talking about this a little bit. And I think a responsibility that people don't think about is the whole being responsible with a gun. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you know, the times we're in right now and people think of guns and they freak out for the most part. And that's just because people don't understand. I mean, I, I'm very pro Second Amendment. I'm law enforcement and I still believe people should have the right to carry a firearm to defend themselves because I know what evil is out there. Now, that's a whole nother conversation. As far as firearms go, even bow and arrows, I mean, they're, they're deadly. They kill animals. They can kill a human. And that's happened. People have used bow and arrows to kill people, you know, back in the day and even currently, you know, it's, it's still a weapon. The good thing about hunting is in order to go out and do it legally, you have to have a hunter safety card. It's federally mandated and it's basically, it's, it's a federal thing. So I can go to any state and it's accepted, but you have to go to a class. It's either online, it's either online or in class. And what they do is they teach you gun safety and a lot of it's just common sense. Never point it at anybody, you know, basically always have it in a safe direction. Make sure it's unloaded. Make sure you don't make sure your firearm's unsafe and don't pull the trigger unless you're ready to to pull the trigger. When you're shooting at something, know what's behind it. Like I'm not, if me and you are out hunting a field for, for dove or for quail and a bird flies in between us, I should know not to shoot that bird if it's between us. You know, I want to make sure it's up and elevated over both of our heads and not in your field of fire. You know, field of fire can be anywhere from like my 10 o'clock to my two o'clock. A firearm is a tool and that tool is used to, to take an animal. At the end of the day, that's what you're out there to do. Teaching this to anybody like that, that's giving them the, the right tools. It's showing them how to use that tool properly. And I think that's something that's never really considered with, with hunting. Like, I don't think most people make that connection. I didn't know that you needed that card, but hey, it's good. Teach these people or teach people, you know? And then also another thing you're going to, you're going to learn from hunting is shit's not always going to go your way. Discipline, patience, all of that shit comes from this too. Like you said, you're not going to go out every single time, kill a bird or whatever you're hunting. That's not life. Shit's not ever going to be handed to you. So there's a lot of life lessons in this too. You know, this is just something that when I'm talking to you, it's like I'm kind of realizing this. Like, I never made this connection between it. It's pretty cool, though. Yeah, so there's been times where I've been out on my own, like coyote hunting out here uh, locally. And I've taken one, two shots at a coyote. I miss. It, it might not sound like a big deal, but in in my eyes i'm out there to take this animal for whatever reason i'm i'm trying to take this animal i don't just go out there just to kill an animal it's not like i'm out there shooting people's dogs and cats coyotes are pests it's actually in in the state of california you don't need a tag for it but you do need a hunting license so with a hunting license you can shoot as many coyotes as you want year round there's no season for coyotes and that's cuz they're pest control or it's considered pest control one time when i shot a coyote and i missed and it was probably it was a hard day after because I didn't accomplish what I set out to do. And so those are the downs. But at the end of the day, I was able to walk away safely. Nobody was hurt. Nobody else got hurt. And I was out there doing what I wanted to do. I still had fun. I went hiking. I, you know, I enjoyed the, the California mountains out here. And that was just part of the day. You know, my hardest part of that day was missing that coyote. Hey, it is what it is. Hopefully I'll get it the next time. But what sucks about missing that coyote is now I just educated it, you know, for the next hunter that might want to to shoot it and skin it and sell his his pelt, you know, as for uh for whatever you know people want to make out of it or do with it. So it makes it harder for the next hunter to do what he needs to do. Cause some of these hunters actually they do this as a living. You know, they set out to shoot certain kinds of animals, they get the pelt, they sell the meat or you know, the pelts used for many different things and that's how they make their money to, to provide for their families, you know? And, and it, at the end of the day, I'm like, damn, I just educated this thing. So yeah, it is what it is at that point. 
I mean, you just, you learn from that, you know, and a lot of that could have been that, that buck fever. It's, it's a real thing. I think I encounter that every time I go hunting, mainly for land animals, like a coyote, a deer or an elk, you get the shakes real bad. And I've shot plenty of animals, but I still get that. And it's cause that excitement I'm sitting in this one place on earth. And what are the chances that this animal is going to come right in front of me right now when it has all this other land to travel? You know, it's, it's kind of like playing the lottery and like, it goes back to how I was saying it was gambling. It's a gamble. I could sit in this one spot and not see anything, but I sit in this one spot and I see something. It's like, holy crap, man, like this is my opportunity. You know, you get your gun up, you're trying to be really quiet and you feel like everything you do is the loudest thing ever. And you're going to spook the animal. And next, you know, your hand shaking, your heart's beating real hard. But fortunate for, fortunately for me, I have the military background that, you know, that helps me bring my heart rate down, take the, the nice deep breath, release, you know, steady trigger control, pull the trigger and you're hoping to hit the animal at that point. But when I've missed animals, a lot of it's just because I got too excited, you know, or I didn't make sure I was doing everything that I should have been doing correctly. So you learn from those times. And you just try not to make that mistake again. So earlier you kind of mentioned uh, the whole seasons. There's obviously hunting seasons, animals that you can kill, that you can't kill. Actually, I was looking it up and I think for the most part, the only animal you can't kill or bird is a is a crow on like most areas. Yeah, I've never really looked in at crows because they're... I'm not going to go out and eat a crow. Yeah. So and you're, I was, I've actually I, been watching that 70s show and there's like an episode where Fez kills a crow and feeds it to everybody. <laughs> and so it reminded me of that. But yeah. So like you were saying, coyotes, uh, you can hunt coyotes if you have your license and all that. There's not a season, but there is seasons to all this and all that. If you guys do decide to do that, make sure you do your research and know what is capable, but it's not like you're necessarily going to go get a license and pick up a gun and then go shoot, kill. You have to kind of prepare yourself like we were talking about and all that. And so going forward a little bit, you keep talking about like going different places. So you hunt in California. What do you hunt in California? So in California, I've hunted, right? Still hunt. All types of birds, upland birds, dove, quail, chucker, ducks, which is more of a waterfowl. I've hunted cottontail rabbit. I haven't been California deer hunting just because California deer are so small because California is just overpopulated and basically scares all the animals out of their habitat and they're just constantly on the move so they don't get to fatten up. Um, we have some elk here, never elk hunted in California. But pretty much coyotes is like my go-to year-round. It's funny because in California is like your hobby when it comes to hunting. But you go where to hunt bigger animals like this deer and elk? Um, for us, we do a yearly family trip. So it's with my in-laws, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, some of their family or like really, really close friends. So about six, seven of us would trek out to Colorado in our trucks and we go, we rent horses we make sure we take all our food and beer up for the week that we're going to be up there hunting. And so once we get to Colorado, we load up the horses with all our gear. Uh, it's basically one big tent for all of us to sleep in. All our sleeping gear, all our hunting gear, all our hunting clothes for the week. And then uh, we have like a small food tent. So that way all the food's separate from our tent in case the bears come. And we basically walk up, I think it's like four miles up this mountain. Then we unload our gear the first day, which is the day before the hunting season actually starts. And that's usually on a Friday. So then on Saturdays when our hunting season starts. So we'll head out about five in the morning, get out to where we want to go before the sun comes up and set up in our usual spots. I mean, where we hunt is where my father-in-law has been going for the last like 25 years. Um, so he knows all the little ins and outs of all the hunting places. From there, we set up for depends on what you have it's uh you're either gonna have a deer tag uh some people do some people don't that's all based on like a lottery it's a point system so let's just break this down really quick 
you buy your license, you're not guaranteed certain animals that year? Correct. So usually every year you can buy an over-the-counter, which means I could walk into a into like a, a Walmart or a Big Five or whatever and buy a tag, which means that there's an overpopulation of, let's say, a male elk, which is known as a bull elk. Um, they're the ones with the big antlers. So I can go into a store and pay whatever the out-of-state fee is, which in Colorado is usually like a five to $600 uh, tag. For a cow, which is a female elk, they only allow so many. It's a limited amount of tags that they allow, and that's based on a lottery system. So you would pay for your tag ahead of time, and if you're chosen, then they keep your money. If you're not, then they refund your money, but the only fee that they take out is the hunting license fee. Then from there, if you have a cow tag, you can go out and you can shoot a cow. If I have a bull tag, I can't shoot a cow because I'm only limited to my bull tag. How hunting how hunting is regulated is based on the population of the animals and how they're doing in a year. All these people do all the research and stuff, and that's how that's how it's regulated across the United States. So you go in a big group. Do you guys tend to take different tags with you so that you kind of get a little bit of everything, I guess? Yeah, so in our group, we make sure every year that somebody has enough points to get a deer tag and somebody has enough points to get a cow tag for the elk. Um, as far as the, the bull tag for an elk, if you don't have enough preference points to, to basically make sure you get that limited tag, then you can just buy your bull tag and that's no problem. And that way we know we have a wide range of animals that we can shoot to bring meat home for everyone. And we, we, what we do is when, if I were to be the only person to shoot an animal, then we split the animal amongst all six of us. Now we're hoping that everybody gets an animal because that's the more meat that we share with everyone. Yeah. Like you keep talking about the points. So is it a lottery and a point system? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very complicating. Uh, my brother-in-law is the mastermind behind it. He's been doing this for a long time too. So he's kind of understood how to play, not play the system, but he knows how to to make sure that we're going to have a balanced amount of deer tag, of a cow elk. And then, like I said, the bull elk is just anybody. Like if I wanted to go last minute, I can go and buy a, a bull tag over the counter, no problem. The reason why cow tag is a big deal is because you get a lot more meat off of the cow than you will off of the bull. The bull, the main thing you're you're wanting to shoot a bull for is bigger the antlers, the more pride you have. It's all a pride thing. It's called a trophy. So that's really what you're going for. Do you have a uh, a stuffed uh, bull? Well, yeah. No, so bull around here. No, but I do have antlers that I that I brought home. Did you um, buy them from like a truck stop or did no, you kill this? I actually killed this. This was my first elk that I killed, and uh, it's considered a trophy. It was a pretty decent sized elk for it being on public land. So public land means anybody can go out and hunt there, right? So you're going to have all these people going out to public land and, and scaring these animals around all over the place. And it's less likely you're going to shoot a big animal. You're going to tend to shoot the first animal you see. So you can't have like slim pickings. You're just going to shoot what you, what you can get. Whereas somebody that's hunting on a private land, what they do is like these ranchers they have this land what they do is they they build up these animals so they'll put feeders out there but they won't even hunt them for three four or five years and they they name them i mean it's like their pet like their their ranch pet and what they're doing is they're just trying to make this the biggest animal possible and what they'll do is they'll sell a like a rancher's tag or a private land tag for top dollar and somebody will go pay over a thousand dollars for this tag to go shoot the you know, gigantic elk just to say, Hey, I shot this gigantic elk. So there's different aspects of hunting when it comes to that. We do the public land. So you take a lot more pride in going out there and getting a big animal because you got this big animal that hasn't been shot by, you know, all these hundreds or, you know, if not thousands of hunters yet. That pretty much leads me to my next question too. Cause okay. You're going to Colorado to camp out. So this is public land. Yes. Like, so anybody can roll up there and... Yeah, so anybody can go up there, but you where we go, there's no motorized vehicles allowed. So you can't, like, load up a dirt bike or a quad or one of these other UTVs. 
and drive all your gear up there and say, Hey, this is my, this is my spot. That's why we take horses. Like we're doing this like John Wayne style. We're out there up there in the woods. We have our own fire going. We're cutting down firewood. We have our tent. We have our food. We cook our food while we're hunting. So like we have a fire pit and like a metal pot. We throw them, you know, whatever meat or whatever we bring up. Potatoes is a big thing for us. It's easy to cook. We throw, we throw the charcoal on top of the pot and we go hunting for four or five hours. We come back and our food's cooked. Then we pull it out with sticks and whatever else we can gather up and we just, we eat. So you're not going to get a lot of people up in our area because it, it's a lot more work to get up there. That's why we pack out the horses. So when we shoot an animal, the horse is carrying our animal because these elk weigh anywhere from three to six, 700 pounds. All right, man. If you weren't in the military, do you think you would be doing this? Because it's pretty rough, Nick. I don't think I can do it. I would say yes. And that's just based off of not wanting to let like my father-in-law and brother-in-law down. Like they do this shit. So like, if I don't do it, like I'm gonna look like a wuss and that's not going to happen because then it's gonna be a lifetime of shit talking. And in our family, we like to shit talk. Yeah. All right. No, I'm still, I don't think I can do this shit, man. (laughs) So uh, let me, let me break this down more. Like say you and your buddies do this shit. You don't, you weren't in the military. You think you could handle this type of honey? I would say no. And a lot of that is a mindset thing. You know, for, unless I was raised that way, then I could, then I, I think, yeah, because it becomes normal. You know, like as in my brother-in-law, his, my father-in-law taught him how to hunt and raised him in that culture. So he, he was used to that. You know, whereas me before the military, I wasn't raised that way. You know, I kind of, I was miserable in the military because that's what makes you fight harder. And so being out in the mountains and in the middle of nowhere with horses and trying to shoot an animal, that's nothing compared to what a lot of guys in the military have done. So you actually enjoy it more being out there, even though it sounds miserable, you're like, nobody's in charge of you. Like nobody's telling you what to do. You're just out there chilling in mother nature, kicking it, drinking beer and, you know, eating and talking shit around a campfire. And if you shoot something for that day, you're like king of the hill. You know, everybody's like, hell yeah, we got meat to take home. When everybody gets an animal, then it's all about who shot the biggest animal. (laughs) Yeah, man. It sounds really cool. And I I love nature. I love going hiking and all that. But You know, I'm out there for an hour and then I'm back at home watching (laughs) Netflix and shit like that. So it it sounds cool, but I can see my ass dying out there or something. Don't get me wrong. There's times where, and I'm sure every hunter can tell you, there's at least one trip that might stand out in them or in their minds where like, damn, that shit sucked. And that's where I went, you know, where I was telling you earlier where you know, hopefully your next trip makes up for it. Or if you have one bad day, you know, you're going to have a day that's going to make up for that one bad day and you're going to forget all about it. And a lot of it's more of the weather. I mean, when we're up there, it's usually during the cold season and it sucks. I mean, there's been time where it might snow or it hails or it hails and snows and thunderstorms and lightning. I mean, lightning's scary when you're out in the wilderness because there's nothing around you but trees and there's nothing but trees that have been struck by lightning around your campsite that you're like, damn, dude, like that could, I, that could be me tonight. And there's been scary times. I mean, I've been bucked off a horse twice, you know, up there and that sucked. Uh, but you, literally you get back on the horse and you keep going. I mean, no pun intended. What were you trying to do to the horse? <laughs> it was, it was a jackass horse, man. He didn't like me. Um, I didn't like him. He's lucky he's still alive. <laughs> He literally, he was a stubborn horse. I kicked him in the belly and that was the end of the day for me. Then the next day, he decided to take me under a low branch, got my backpack hung up. And next thing you know, I'm uh, feet in the air, you know, my back on the ground. And so I kind of walked the rest of that day. I just basically walked my horse everywhere. He won that battle. He won. The next year, I actually... Gained a little bit more experience with horses and kind of understood more. They're actually very powerful animal, but very sensitive. They definitely do what they're meant to do. So if it carries my meat, I'm happy with it because I'm not going to carry that meat. It's just heavy. <laughs> I can do a public service announcement for anybody that wants to try hunting. 
don't break the law because um you shot fish, the law and the law won yeah exactly well fish uh fishing game are actually like the only law enforcement entity that can enter your house without a warrant and that's based on them thinking like you have illegally owned um meat or product of an animal and that's because you know i mean obviously you can eat the evidence <laughs> Um, but they, they take that like very seriously and you'll basically never be able to hunt again ever. And that kind of sucks because it's, it is, it is a privilege. So to lose that privilege, I mean, that would be very hard. And that's where the ethics comes in behind. You just do what's right always and respect the animals. I mean, don't just shoot an animal to shoot it. Like make sure you're doing it for the right reason. You know, that got serious. I just don't want anybody getting in trouble, man. Like listening to the podcast and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna go shoot a coyote now." Like, make sure you have the licenses and, and what. Check on your your local areas too. Like, don't just go out there and start blasting a coyote in your driveway. That's not gonna end well. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> Fuck, man! I thought that shit was gonna be okay. You know, I heard it on a podcast. Don't be that guy or yeah. a girl or whatever. No, um. <clears throat> Yeah, man, that shit sounds cool and all that. Like I said, I I know my limitations, and that shit is well beyond it. So kudos to you on that. That shit sounds cool, though. I, I think about camping every once in a while. Maybe I'll go start there, you know? There's there's definitely easier hunting. Dove, dove season, which opens September 1st of every year, it's probably the easiest hunting you can do. Literally, jeans and a t-shirt and a shotgun. You go out to Bakersfield buy some ranchers um orchards and just hang out until you get kicked off and just be respectful but you literally the birds fly at you you shoot them then you eat them and that's it you said doves doves yeah yeah that was a a question that not like your typical peace and loving white dove <laughs> like prince yeah Wait, what do you mean by that like what's going there's, on there's, with these doves there's different types of doves out there i mean you could pull up the different species but they're basically little brown birds it's called a pigeon <laughs> no not those <laughs> you don't want to eat those trust me those eat garbage no okay yeah because people usually ask me like hey i want to go hunting like what should i go i was like how the fuck should i know dude like yeah a lot of it's going to depend so like if you're going to go bird hunting and a lot of it depends on if you already have a gun you know if not you're gonna have to buy a gun you're not going to go bird hunting with a rifle i mean that's silly um, you're going to want to get a shotgun and that's because of the BBs that it shoots out and the spread at the, at the birds and birds are pretty small when you really think about it. What it, it's, uh, <clears throat> a, a buckshot is a solid piece of. So a buckshot is what it is. It, it's meant to kill deer, which is a buck is a, uh, male deer. But yeah, but it's a, like a solid piece of metal, right? No. So buckshot is, is like about nine BBs. That are, I forget like how many ounces they are per BB or how many ounces are in a, in a shot shell, but there's actual bird shot out there that is meant for birds. There's like more BBs in that. Yeah. Right? And they're smaller. Oh, okay. So it's pretty dope when you shoot, when you go to shoot one bird in like two fall, you're like, sweet. That's awesome. So are you really hunting or is it the bullet that's doing the hunting? You're just fucking aiming and shooting. When it comes to dove, yeah, you're just out there to basically warm up for duck season because Ducks fly a lot faster, and certain ducks are actually harder to shoot than other ducks. I played Nintendo. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, but So, in real life, duck hunting, like, the dog doesn't laugh at you. But there are dogs that get upset if you don't get a bird. They look at you and, like, what the hell's wrong with you? I'm ashamed to call you my owner. Yeah, exactly. All right. I think we're just fucking around now. But, uh, no, but in all seriousness, man, this is your lifestyle. Like, like I said, I feel like California is your hobby, and... Colorado's like your lifestyle because you even train your dogs to like go hunting with you. Yeah, so <clears throat> but there the thing about dogs is there's different species of dogs that do different types of hunting. They have certain dogs that are meant for birds, certain dogs that are meant for water birds, certain dogs that are meant for pigs and deer. Like you're not going to take your freaking Doberman Pinscher or your your Rottweiler out there to go freaking bird hunting like that's what golden retrievers are for. Labrador retrievers, German shorthead pointers, they go out and they point at certain birds that just kick it in bushes and they scare them up and then you shoot them and then the dog gets it for you. They're, I mean, people are using like pit bulls now to go and hunt 
bears and, and pigs, you know, they corner them. Then you get there and you shoot the animal or you can jump on it and stab it depending on type of hunting you're doing. How, how, how real you are, I guess. It's like how thug you are. Dude, are you fucking with me right now? Like, are no, people no, they're, really jumping on bears? Not bears. <laughs> <laughs> That's more of a pig thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, a bear I'm not going toe-to-toe with. Dude, uh, Jesus. I know, like, a while back, some guy, like, punched a bear. And he said because he knows that bears are, like, right-handed. So he, he ducked the, <laughs> he, like, he, he ducked the right and went left, like, since, hey, I don't know. People are crazy. Hey, if he survived to tell that story, then he's pretty badass. Hey, everybody's probably like, you're so full of crap. Well, yeah, if it's I, not I on video, you, it didn't I'm happen. Gonna, I seen it on the news. I'm going to repost this. Well, we all know the news posts real stuff, so. <laughs> it's TV, right? Yeah, it's got to be believable. TV, internet, believe all of it. It's all true. Are we fucking around too much? Or is it just, I don't know. It's your podcast. Not true. You have two dogs. They're both trained for hunting. One of them's more of like our chill kick it dog. He's a labradoodle. But he actually has been dove hunting before. That was probably the time of his life. He actually did really good. He's squirmy. So he's just running out there and. Yeah. So uh, what we did to basically introduce him to gunfire was my brother-in-law held him on a leash close to me and I took the first couple shots at you know the first wave of birds that we saw and he didn't spook and so we let him off the leash and he saw the bird and he actually went and retrieved it in which was his normal state i mean these dogs i mean they're he's a labrador he's a labradoodle so he's a labrador retriever and a poodle which poodles were meant to hunt back in the day they are a sport dog and then obviously labrador retrievers are a retrieving dog and his natural instincts kicked in it was kind of crazy to see and he was only six months and i had never taught him I also have a German short-haired pointer who hopefully will be going to hunting school this summer. And that's just to gain the basic like obedience and understanding it. People specialize in training these dogs like for certain things, you know, water dogs. They basically teach them how to go in the water, retrieve the birds. And when you are hunting with a dog, it is probably one of the most amazing things to see is when that gun barrel is aiming at something, <clears throat> that dog is looking in that direction and it's expecting a bird to fall. And when they fall, they see, and most of the time they won't go until you tell them go or you give them some sort of command that the dog was trained on. Like my brother-in-law's dog, the command is bird. So he knows when he hears bird, it's time to go get the bird. These dogs are trained on hand signals, whistles. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. It's a whole nother episode in itself. Yeah. I mean, those trainers, I mean, they're literally dog whispers. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, your dogs are, like, <clears throat> crazy, like, calm compared to my dog. Like, my dog barely sits. <laughs> so, it, it is fascinating that they go through all this to learn what they do. So, to move on a little bit, yeah, you're getting your, you're killing what you're killing. You're carrying it back on the horses. What do you do with it? it there's more to it than, than just bringing it home. So, in our Colorado trip, that's where we get the most meat. Obviously, it's a bigger animal when you're talking elk and deer. <clears throat> Sorry, really, on a good trip, like, kind of what are you bringing back with you? That's all hit and miss. And on the, like, lottery and what you're allowed to bring back. Well, just even if we all have – most everybody that goes out there has a tag for something. Um, It just depends on how many animals we see during our, our hunting season. So one year I went, we brought back one elk. Last year, we brought back five elk and a deer. Honestly, it's just hit and miss every year. But what happens is we we skin the animals while we're there. We gut them. And what we do is we quarter them. So basically, you cut each quarter of the animal off, basically each leg. Um, from there we start cutting the rib meat, start getting all the meat out of the rib cage and all that. We get all the steaks off the, the back straps and all that off the back of the animal. And then if you get an antlered animal, so either a, a bull elk or a buck deer, you're usually cutting off the head <clears throat> and then you're taking it back to camp and then you're sawing off the antlers cause that's your trophy, um, from that animal. And you basically leave the rest of the carcass out and that 
basically a circle of life takes over. You know, all these other animals, coyotes, mountain lions, whatever, bear, whatever else wants to eat this animal is going to go out there and have a feast with whatever you leave. From there, we uh, bring the meat back in actually in a deep freezer that we run on a generator the whole trip back from Colorado. And we take it to a butcher um, called uh, Green Acres and they prepare our meat, all the meats differently. So for the ground meat that we're pulling out of these animals, which is all like the spare meat, they ground it up and we have them add pork fat to basically fatten up the elk because elk is one of the leanest uh, beefs you can have or leanest meats. So you need to add some fat or else when you cook it, it's just going to dry out really bad and <clears throat> it won't taste as good. It's like a filler. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it, it just gives it a little bit more flavor. Oh, okay. So then um, after about two weeks, they process the ground meat. We get sausages made, which, you know, they do flavored sausage. Um, like jalapeno and cheese or like an Italian style or breakfast sausage. So you kind of get a variety. And then the steaks are just regular steaks. They just clean up, get all the fat off. And then from there, we divvy up all the meat amongst everybody that had a tag that, you know, that was out there hunting, whether you shot something or not. We still have meat in my freezer from my last trip in October of 2017, which will probably last us another couple months. I mean, I still have some steaks left and some ground meat and some sausages. And it's kind of cool because my daughter eats some of the animals that, you know, I bring home. And it, you kind of get this sense of like the hunter and gatherer like feeling from back in the day, like, damn, man, like I didn't buy this animal. Like my daughter's eating what I actually killed. Killed is kind of a strong word, but like I took this animal to, to provide for my family. Do I have to do that? No, I can go to the store and buy this meat. But I mean, let's be real. Like I'm probably being more humane this way than what they're doing in whatever factory and they're, you know, growing these cows and stuff. You're you're talking about the animals, like even the animals you're hunting your dogs and all that and you you see that natural instinct kick in and that was kind of cool to hear you say that that natural instinct kicks in with you as well when you're at the family dinner table like i started this podcast it wasn't to tie this in now but this is how we survive this is how animals survive back then it wasn't a hobby this shit was like you want to survive you're gonna hunt and it's our natural instinct so you know that's something interesting yeah, no, like I said, it is a really cool feeling. <clears throat> and I know some people disagree and, hey, everybody has their own opinion. But I do get a sense of pride when I see my little daughter and my wife sitting down and we're eating an animal that I was able to provide without having to go to the store and buy. So you do get this sense of pride. It is it is a really, really cool feeling. And it's delicious. You know, in saying that, like, are you going to get your daughter into hunting? Is this something that you see... Her learning? Oh, yeah. There's things I can't wait to do with my daughter, like teach her how to fish, teach her how to shoot, and not just shoot <clears throat> to shoot an animal, but even in like self-defense. I mean, I'm not going to go out and buy her her own gun and trust her to keep it. Like, There's a lot of responsibility that comes with firearms, just like anything else. She will learn how to shoot, but if at any moment she says, Dad, I don't want to do this, then I'm not going to push it on her. I'm not that kind of person. However, I do hope she takes an interest in it and that's just for her own well-being and kind of understanding on where we came from. So I look forward to that. My brother-in-law is in a really cool phase right now where he's teaching his son all the values of hunting, you know, the ethics and the being out there and the responsibility. I mean, you know, we're out there. My nephew's there to have fun. And there's times where, you know, he's like, dad, I'm bored. And he's like, hey, son, this is a part of it. If you want to come out, you have to deal with this. But then 10 minutes later, we're shooting an animal and he's like, this is awesome. You know, it's it's really cool to see that young generation take this in and not be scared of like, oh, man, my dad just shot this animal. Like he understands the value of life. He understands that what we're doing is to provide for the family. You know, we shoot what we eat for the most part. I'm not going to eat a coyote, but birds and deer and elk. And the kids understand this stuff. They understand where their food comes from so it's it's kind of cool it's a learning experience for everyone even for my brother-in-law who's teaching his son he learns more by instructing so it's, it's pretty cool so you got into hunting 
a little bit later on in your life with these kids are they seeing animals in a different light because they're getting introduced to this at a younger age than you did yes they're i would say they're learning more of an appreciation of the animal the circle of life and how things happen in, in the wild and in the natural they're not they're not as sheltered kids see a dog get run over and it's like the end of the world for them you know whereas somebody that's been out I've seen an animal be hurt by another animal and it's like, damn, dude, that's kind of crazy. But that natural, that that's in its natural habitat. That happens. My brother-in-law and my father-in-law have stories of like mountain lions chasing deer in front of them. That's scary because mountain lions are pretty intim- intimidating animals, you know, but that's all a part of it. That's all natural that we watch that on discovery channel. I mean, imagine seeing that firsthand in front of you, a hundred yards in front of you, like you're hoping that thing gets the deer. So it doesn't get you <laughs> next, you know? You're out there in the wild and then you're gutting the animal. You're cleaning it up to bring it back. What goes into all of that? Well, so after you shoot an animal, you get over the excitement. And why is that? Because now you have a lot of work ahead of you. Basically, after you shoot the animal, usually we're all, not all of us are pretty close, but usually you have like another one of your hunting partners within probably quarter mile to half a mile away. And you're just, you're covering a lot of ground. <clears throat> so we usually help each other out because these animals are fairly big animals. Um, so, our, you know, we take our pictures, we drink our whiskey in celebration, and then the fun, the fun, the real fun begins. Now we're dropping all our gear, getting all, you know, butcher knives and whatnot, skinning knives. And you basically start cutting into the animal. You know, you start with like the rib cage, you work your way down. You get all the guts out, all the poop sack and and all that because you don't want it to spoil the meat. So from there, you start splitting the the animal open. You start peeling the skin back and you're you're basically skinning the animal and you're peeling it away from its body. What you're trying to do is conserve as much meat as possible. The meat is is why we do this. So we're going to be like real like stingy on where we're cutting and, you know, being very, very careful. We'll start cutting all that. Then we cut, you know, all the quarters off to each leg. And then, which is kind of hard because you have ball joints in there, you have ligaments and stuff. So you're cutting through, chopping through any way you can, twisting, turning, breaking bones. I mean, what what kind of tools are you using for all this? So like, I have a certain kind of razor blade that I use. It's it's a skinning knife to skin the inside away from the meat because it's pretty tough. Knives specifically that cut down like the rib cage. I also have like a a hacksaw that's basically not a hacksaw, but a handsaw that folds in half. And I use that to break the rib cage in half, you know, cut all the way down. And then, uh, there's other bigger knives that, that we use to basically cut through ligaments and, and get in like deep places, especially around the neck bone. It's really, really tough up there. A lot of muscle. So you're cutting through muscles and stuff like that. I mean, you, you need like, three, four different knives. Um, I've seen people carry freaking little hatchets up there because you just hack, you know, basically hack away at certain things to separate the legs from, from the animal. And then like the little razor blade comes, it's perfect for like getting in between the rib cage, getting all the meat out and all that's used for, you know, the ground meat and stuff like that. Dude, does this have to be done like right away? Does the, does the animal get tense that it makes this part difficult or anything like that? No. So, I mean, obviously, the longer you wait, like the rigor mortis and all that sets in in the animal. But a lot of it depends on the weather. So, if it's cold, like they've left animals out and, you know, where they shot them. Say they shot them late in the day. Like you don't want to be cutting up an animal like 8 o'clock at night in the middle of like the wilderness because you're going to be like bears are going to smell this, coyotes mountain lions, whatever other freaking creatures out there is going to smell the the blood in the air and they're going to be like, I'm hungry. I'm going to go feast. So what you do is you try and get all the guts out because the guts, you know, they, they tend to bloat and explode and then it spoils the meat. Well, now you just wasted the animal. Like you don't want to do that. You want to, you know, salvage the animal. You shot it because you're taking this home. <clears throat> so you at least want to gut it. And if you shoot it late in the day, people will try and hang it from a tree the remaining of its body, which is actually kind of good because it makes all the blood basically drip off the, yeah. yeah, so you're draining it. And then you can go back the next day, cut it down, and then continue on. Um, so you generally want to try and do it basically as soon as you as soon as you shoot the animal. At least gut it 
If it's colder, then yeah, you can leave it overnight. If it's like starting to get a little warm, then you definitely want to try and get all the meat off and try and get it down into like a cool place like the freezer or refrigerator or something like that. So we have a, a deep freezer that we throw it in and then we go back up and, you know, we're up there until everybody's done hunting. How do you do in biology in high school? I didn't take biology in high school. And you're doing all this shit? Yeah. <laughs> but I was taught this from, you know, experienced hunters. Yeah. Damn, man. I, I thought I would like to go hunting. Now I hear you keep talking and I don't know if I do. It's an experience, man. I mean, honestly, getting in there and, you know, feeling the warm blood of the animal. Like, I wouldn't want to say it's like disgusting. It's, it's actually very fascinating. I mean, I probably sound like a creep right now, but <laughs> like everybody enjoys that. And it's a lot of it's because you're freezing. So when you put your hand in there, you're like, oh, damn, this thing's warm, you know, but you're not like petting the damn thing like you're, you're there to work so you don't even think about like oh damn this is an animal like now it's it's just work you're just working and you're doing your thing you're doing your part you're contributing to the team and like it's not like people just stand there and watch you like there's knives flying everywhere so you better watch your fingers and your hands because somebody will poke you and be like my bad and keep going because they're trying to get that meat you know a lot of it is you want to be able to get this done so that way you can get your meat back to camp and everybody else can go back to hunting and doing what they need to do. No, hey, I joke around about it, man, but I don't know. I kind of, I've, I've always had, what is it, a niche to go hunting. And, you know, it is a little scary because you're pretty intense about it. But at the same time, I think I got to give it a shot and make it on my own. It sounds, it sounds like intimidating and stuff, but once you get out there, it's, it's fun. And it's just, honestly, it's the camaraderie that you build with like whoever you go hunting with, you know, like my wife likes to go hunting. We've gone bird hunting. We have a blast when we go. And like, I can't wait to take my daughter and be with my wife. And all three of us are out there hunting and seeing my daughter shoot something for the first time. I'm sure we're both going to be exploding with joy, you know? So it's, it's honestly, it's a bond that you build with the people you go, whether it's miserable or not. I mean, you make memories and you'll always resort back to, Hey man, you remember that one time we were there and this happened? Like it was shitty at the time, but then you're laughing about it five, ten years later. Like I can't believe we went through that, you know? No, I hear you, man. It's a, it's a, it's the memories and all that, the experience. It's all good, you know. You got to make it positive. At that minute, you might not see it, like you said, but five years later, you're joking around about it and all that shit. And honestly, like you might have a miserable trip, and then you come home and you're like damn, back to reality, I'm back at work, you're going to wish you were back on that mountain or back in the field doing what you were doing. Like, even though you might have had a bad day, you realize <laughs> you're away from reality. Yeah, You're not on the phone. You're not being bothered by people. You're not stuck in traffic. You're out there doing what our ancestors did on a daily basis to provide, you know. Well, it depends on how you look at hunting. I look at it as I'm going out there and I'm trying to provide meat, natural meat on the table for my family. No, that's cool, man. I I like that. All right, man. I'm pretty sure I've I've been scaring everybody about hunting. But what advice do you have for somebody when it comes to hunting or just in life in general? What would you tell somebody young or somebody that needs a, a little pat on the back, you can say? What would you tell them? Here's your shot. I would just say be responsible and be very ethical. Like, Understand that you are taking a life, you know, and when you're out there, you want to know where you're at. That's the biggest thing. Safety is always going to be number one. So make sure you have all the proper equipment, proper tools that you're going to need. Plan ahead. And if you're out there with a gun, like know what's behind what you're shooting. You know, if you're shooting down in a ravine, make sure there's no other hunters down there, which is why you'll see hunters wear orange because it stands out. So just be very cautious. If you're going for your first time, find an experienced person that you can trust and they'll teach you the right thing because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get their privilege taken away. So they'll make sure that you're doing the right thing. And on that note, guys, that's a wrap for us. Thank you guys for listening. Albert, thank you so much for doing this. Hey guys, when I was doing research for this episode, I found out a lot of things that I didn't know existed, so I'll share some of it with you guys. There's actually organizations out there that put together these events where if you're a new hunter, they'll take you out. You can sign up, and they'll take you out, and 
They'll teach you how to hunt and all that. So if hunting is something that you want to take the next step with, A, make sure you do your research on it. B, check out one of these groups. It might be a great way for you to get your foot in the door. And C, just make sure to be smart about it, guys. But yeah, definitely you want to check out wildlife.ca.gov and also calwaterfowl.org. Those were some of the great websites that I found that had a lot of good hunting material on there. So definitely check those out. As always, guys, make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, whichever one you're on. I try to get active on there. And more importantly, make sure to follow, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, CastBox, however you're listening to it. Until next time, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Hey, guys, so if, uh, you know, this podcast about hunting, you know, whatever, however it left your mind or whatever you decided on, if you want to join PETA, go ahead. Uh, just Google people eating tasty animals, and it'll direct you to the correct site. And uh, let me know what you guys think.